Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, this week on Real Health, we're discussing female health and not just the aspects traditionally associated with a topic like reproductive health, but everything from sleep to mood and movement. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast again. She was one of our very first guests when we started the podcast. And we're delighted to have Dr. Hazel Wallace, founder of The Food Medic and author to her latest and third book, The Female Factor, back on the show. In the book, Dr. Hazel takes a deep dive into women's health and explains why women are not just small men. It's a definitive guide on all you need to know. And I'm very excited to jump right in because we've loads of topics to cover. Hazel, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you so much for having me back. I'm very well. Well, congratulations. Your third book. It's been a busy couple of years. Yeah, it's been busy. It's been a while since my last book, but um, yeah, I'm really excited to, to, to launch The Female Factor. And it's a bit different to our last conversation a couple of years back. So I'm looking forward to it. So why the topic and why this book? Well, I mean, most people will know me for nutrition. Um, I run the Food Medic page and it's been my platform for the last 10 years. But um, for those who aren't familiar with my work, I'm a medical doctor as well. And I I think over the last couple of years, as a doctor to many women and as a woman to myself, I realized there was this gap, basically, this unmet need in medicine and in healthcare, where women were essentially being treated just as smaller men. And as we know, we're very different physiologically, um, but most of the differences people often assume are just down to kind of reproductive differences. That's what we think of when we talk about women's health. But I wanted to look further than that and look at how we're different from a nutrition point of view, exercise, sleep and mood. And they form the four pillars of the female factor. Well, over 70% of our listeners are women and they'll be very, very interested in all you have to say. You start off the book by explaining how science sees women. Tell us why women weren't used in studies. It's for a couple of reasons. The most, I guess the main reason is that women have fluctuating hormones typically across a 28-day cycle, which makes up the menstrual cycle. And those hormones cause interference in science and data. And so researchers essentially found that a bit of a nuisance and decided to exclude women. There's also the risk of a woman um, falling pregnant. So from you know a safety and ethical point of view, researchers decided to exclude them for that reason and also not just biological reasons but also biases and and gender and social norms women tend to be primary caregivers they often don't have the time after work or around looking after kids to be able to go and attend research trials um you know in the last couple of years there's been a huge drive to make them more equal but most of the clinical research we have today is based on male bodies, male mice, male cells, and simply just extrapolated to women. 
And does that make the the results of the studies null and void? Presumably, if they're you know if they're only, if they're predominantly on men, that presumably the same you know the same results can't apply for women. I think we're more like than we are different, but there are really important differences that um, mean that women are not being treated as well as they could be. Um, and I think the fluctuating hormones is one point of difference because estrogen and progesterone are the main hormones that fluctuate across um, your menstrual cycle, but there are other hormones as well. And they're not only influencing reproduction, they are influencing your mood, your sleep, your heart, your brain, your gut health. And if we're not accounting for those differences, then we're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. And because of that re reason, women are being you know, misdiagnosed, underdiagnosed and not getting the same treatment. Maybe we're not using the same diagnostic tests. And so these tiny little differences make up huge differences in the long run. So we're almost going back now, pedaling backwards and starting to look at these differences and actually find out, you know, how important are they when it comes to treating men and women for different kind of conditions and supporting their health? So there's really important questions that haven't been answered yet. Chat to me about some of the specific needs that women need to be aware of, like on a nutritional level, for example, are there specific needs women need to have over men or not? Yeah, there are. I mean, nutrition is so important for both men and women. But there are particular periods in a woman's life where she's more vulnerable to nutritional deficiencies and she and, and certain nutrients are more important. Um, so, for example, when you go through puberty, iron is one of the most important nutrients because of that monthly bleed, you're at more risk of um, iron deficiency. Women are also more likely to be veggie or vegan, so they're also missing out on iron there. And then thinking around kind of pregnancy and postnatally, fit, um, folic acid, vitamin D are also become more important. And into the menopause, nutrition is almost the most important then because that estrogen that I mentioned earlier, once you lose it, it does not just end your reproductive life. It means that your bone health is more at risk, your heart health is more at risk and your brain health is more at risk. So you really need to maximize on those lifestyle factors to help support your health. And nutrition is so key then to help support your bones, to help support your heart and also there and nutrition can help support menopausal symptoms as well. So this is all kind of information that I don't feel that's very much public knowledge that women feel that they can access. And actually, I feel like if they could, it would make those really important periods of a woman's life a lot more seamless, let's just say. Well, thankfully, certainly over here, menopause has become a far more popular topic of conversation. Even on the show, it's ourselves. We've had two or three experts on. And we try and chat about it as much as we possibly can because it's such an important thing to talk about. In terms of people listening in, what should they be having in their diets? What should they be, you know, be eating? Obviously, diets should be balanced and it should be, you know, everything in moderation. But if they're going through the menopause or even, you know, pre-menopause, are there certain things they should be having slightly more of or slightly less of or just be more aware of? Yeah, that's a really good question. And there's kind of three things that I cover in the book when it comes to the menopause and nutrition. And like I mentioned, heart health is something that's really important after the menopause. It is in general, you know, across your lifespan, but women are more at risk of heart disease after they go through the menopause because of that loss in estrogen. And estrogen is so important for your heart and your blood vessels. And um, there's also an increase in, in weight gain, increase in blood pressure, cholesterol levels change. So all of these factors put a woman more at risk of heart disease. So now, 
more than ever, it's really important that you're looking after your nutrition. So a typical heart healthy diet is, you know, one that we often say is like the Mediterranean style diet, lots of colorful fruits and vegetables, lots of whole grains, high in fiber. And adding soya based products into your diet can be helpful as well. And also things like you want to watch would be things like alcohol, cutting down on your salt and also your saturated fat intake. So that's your heart health. But the other thing that's really important after the menopause is your bone health. Um, estrogen is really important for keeping your bones really strong and healthy. So once you've lost that, you're more at risk of things like osteoporosis and breaking a bone or having a fracture, which can not only be obviously very um, like devastating to the person, but it can strip you of your independence. So it's really important that we're thinking about these things early. And nutrition is really important there. So protein, getting enough protein in your diet, calcium again, and um, calcium and vitamin D go hand in hand when it comes to bone health, but also other nutrients like magnesium um, and vitamin K and phosphorus. And I talk about that in greater detail in the book. And then lastly, not only are we thinking about how we can protect our health, but if you're going through the menopause, you might be experiencing quite debilitating symptoms like hot flashes, which can keep you up at night, means that you're kind of, it's disrupting your day to day, but also nutrition can help there. Um, so reducing the amount of caffeine and spicy foods in your diet can also help. But again, the soy based foods, um, because they have particular compounds in them called isoflavones, um, which basically act similar to estrogen and can help um, reduce those hot flashes. So you need to be having two to three servings of soy based products a day to get those benefits. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many things that you could be doing as well around that, like nutrition is one thing, but I also really advocate for exercise after the menopause. I actually think it's one of the most important things um, when you're going through the menopause, but oftentimes we see a drop in terms of how active women are because they often find it's really difficult at that stage of their life to get activity in and they're not really sure what to be doing. So there's lots of kind of pieces to the puzzle there. Yeah, and of course, you know, there is a difference between physical movement or I suppose we would I would say general daily movement, which is just how we move about and actual exercise. They're two very different things. And for that bone strengthening, keeping as much muscle as you possibly can as you go through menopause and get older, you need to do that weight bearing movement as much as possible so that it's not just the cardiovascular things that so many people do. Yeah, absolutely. Chat to me around body fat then and why men and women carry carry it differently and why body fat is important for women yeah um i think you know there's i think as a woman and i'm sure lots of women listening will agree that you know there's often this narrative that women need to be you know very low body fat to have abs to look lean and you're often told to be the smallest version of yourself body fat's so important and um, for women and we carry more of it than men do and that's because it helps protect our reproductive organs and we typically carry it around our waist and our around our hips and our bum versus men who tend to carry it around their waist and actually where we carry our fat um, determines our risk of things like heart disease and metabolic diseases and how women carry it i.e in their hips is actually quite protective from that point of view but what we see when we go through the menopause is that that fat de deposition actually shifts and so women start to carry it around their waist which again increases the risk of heart disease um but I, you know when i'm talking to women younger women 
I have to hammer home all the time that actually it's quite important to have quite a bit of body fat because women who do go very low body fat, they lose their menstrual cycle. Again, they're losing that estrogen. So they're losing all those benefits that we mentioned earlier, the benefits on your heart, on your bone, on your brain, and also the ability to conceive. So it's really important. Folks, you're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Just on, on that point then, so does that bring it back to, or does that bring up the issue of, of orthorexia then in terms of, you know, that strive for the six pack, the very low body fat, particularly for women, and the issues that that's habit, that, 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 has, that has on women? Yeah, I think I think it's really important that we're talking more about this because I don't think women fully understand the long-term implications. You know, orthorexia may not lead to someone you know, getting very low body fat, but it potentially could. And extreme diets or extreme exercise is one of the ways that women tend to lose their periods. And like I mentioned in the book, it's not just the loss of a regular bleed. It's the loss of that that's signaling that your body's under severe stress. And so the reason that we lose that regular cycle it's because your body's gone into almost like an energy saving mode, kind of like your phone does when um, you've got low battery, it switches off kind of apps it doesn't need, it dims the light. And that's essentially what your body's doing. It's preserving all its energy for those life sustaining things like pumping blood around your body and helping you breathe. And so it essentially switches off reproduction, but that doesn't just affect your ability to conceive. Like I said, it means that you're more at risk of um, fractures. It will change your mood. It will help. It will affect your hair, your skin, and your nails, which I know is a lot, very important to a lot of women in terms of their how they feel about themselves. And so there's all these knock-on effects that I don't feel like um, a lot of people fully understand. And of course, one of those the, those key topics you talk about in the book is mood. I mean, you, you touched on it there in terms of you know in terms of body fat. For, and the, the impact that has on it. Chat to me more about that for women who are listening in, who find maybe even periods of low mood around their time of the month or whatever it may be, and simple ways they can improve their mood. Yeah, um, I absolutely loved writing this chapter because I think it can be really reaffirming for women um, to know that it's not all in your head. And I think um, it's very easy to blame hormones when it comes to your mood. But what I say, uh, kind of, I, there's a sentence in the book and I say, you don't have to kind of blame it on hormones for feeling the way you're feeling, because I think it's very easy to assume it's because it's your time of the month or because you're pregnant or because you're going through the menopause. That must be why you're feeling upset or angry or whatever. But actually, a lot of the research shows that the most important thing when it comes to determining your mood and your men- mental health is actually your social support. So the people around you and your relationships and women who feel more supported during the kind of premenstrual period of their cycle are less likely to experience PMS. So it's really important to kind of lean on the people in your life, speak to them about how you're feeling and feel supported and you're less likely to experience those really um, big swings in your mood around your cycle. But there lo- there's lots of other important things. I think I've 10 tips in the book. Um, your relationships is one of them, but also also things like sleep. It's really important. Sleep is very uh, tightly linked to our mood. And I'm sure lots of people can relate to that because 
if you've had a couple of bad nights sleep, you feel very irritable. But over the long run, it can lead to poor mental health. Exercise is very important. And also if you can get outside, that's also an added benefit. Um, nutrition, again, is extremely important. When it comes to the best diet for food and mood, it's typically, again, Mediterranean-style diet that's really high in fibre. And we think that's largely because of that link between the brain and the gut. So chat me through other, other sleep tips. Again, it's very topical here. It's great. And it's great to see people so aware of it that we need to improve and focus on our sleep. What? Uh, how can people improve theirs? I think, you know, a lot of people listening will know um, most of the tips when it comes to sleep hygiene where they've heard them before. And from practice, I know that people will know this, but actually find it really hard to implement it. So it's quite tricky because sleep's one of those things that we tend to sideline when we're really busy, but it's one of the most important things for your health. So I think when it comes to good sleep, it starts first thing in the morning. And that's making sure that you're viewing bright light um, outdoors, not indoors. Um, and that's because that sets our circadian rhythm, that 24 hour internal clock that we have. And if we view bright light in the morning, that will mean that we'll feel sleepier um, earlier in the in the nighttime and will fall asleep quicker. So it starts first thing in the morning. Then thinking about what you're doing in the day, making sure you're not having too much caffeine after midday because um, we metabolize caffeine very differently. Some people, it can take up to 10 hours to metabolize a cup of coffee. So your midday coffee could be keeping you up at night. Not eating too late um, in the evening because again, um, digesting food as well means that your body's less likely to get a restful restorative sleep and also not viewing kind of blue light devices so not going on your phone and um, too late at night and if you are making sure you're switching it on to night mode um, and again try not to have too many things like um, stimulants late in the night whether that's energy drinks or if you're going to the gym and things like that um, pre-workout and stuff like that. Okay, great. When we bring guests like yourself on, we love to ask them about top tips for people listening in that they would love pe people to take from the episode. Do you, What would your three or your five top tips be for people listening in to improve their health? Um, for women, I would say absolutely start tracking your menstrual cycle. Um, not just from a practical point of view, but it will tell you so much about your health and where you're at. And actually, I think it should be considered as one of the most important vital signs for a woman. So start tracking it, including your mood and your sleep and your cravings and even how you can use it around exercising and energy levels. It's really important. That would be my top tip there. Uh, the second thing is when it comes to seeking health advice from your doctor, don't feel like anything is um, too small or too embarrassing because oftentimes we see that people feel like they can't really, um, they feel like it's something that's too small. And we see this in both men and women, but typically in women, they feel like it's, they're just going to be fobbed off and it's all in their head. So um, if you do feel like you're suffering or struggling with something, tell your doctor, keep a symptom diary and make sure that you're heard. Um, and I guess the third thing would be um, when it comes to um, men and women, um, we are not small men. Women are very physiologically different. And so I think it's it's important that we really tap into our own um, differences and also understand that um, we are very unique. And if we understand those unique differences, it can actually help improve our health. And that's what I've tried to achieve with the book. I've tried to make it really empowering, really informative so that women are stepping away feeling like they understand themselves a bit more. 
Hazel, it's been great to catch up with you. Uh, if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Um, I'm under The Food Medic on all social media platforms. My website is thefoodmedic.co.uk. Podcast is The Food Medic and I'm Dr. Hazel Wallace. So you can find me most places <laughs> online. <laughs> and listen, the very best look with your new book, The Female Factor. It is out in good bookstores and online now too. Folks, that is it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. You know where we are, realhealthandindependent.ie, at carlhenrypt on Instagram. We'll see you next week for more Real Health. Slongo Fo. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.